Welcome to the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast. In this series, Women in Technology and Innovation, we shine a spotlight on the remarkable female entrepreneurs, business leaders, and technology leaders who are not only changing the way we live and work, but who are also paving new paths for female entrepreneurs and gender equality. I'm your host, Samantha Wallravens. Today's episode features recent alumna, Samantha Orlin, Senior Program Manager at Narvar. She shares insights on navigating your early career in tech, how to know when it is time to seek out your next professional opportunity and the importance of mentorship. So let's get started. So Sam, I'd like to discuss your career journey thus far. So you graduated from Lehigh and you went to work for Capital One, a large financial institution. What was your role there? What were you doing and why did you decide to go into finance? So I started my career at Capital One. I was there for about four and a half years as part of a management rotational program. So as you guys start your career search, you'll see a lot of different programs, especially with larger companies that revolve around different cohorts. This management rotational program that I was a part of let me experience a bunch of different roles in a bunch of different geographies. Uh, that the company has presence in. So I started as a traditional project manager, moved into process management, ultimately ended up as a scrum master and pseudo product owner for an internal facing product where Capital One tracked different pre-series B startups for different partnerships across the company. So I was specifically aligned to HR in that role. My customers were the HR leadership. And I went out and looked for different startups that focused on diversity and inclusion, employee engagement, performance management, and other key HR themes for either partnerships or um, potentially invest investments at the company. Because a lot of that role revolved around startup relationships. That's kind of how I got into my next role, which was as the eighth hire, very, very small data company. And tell us about that. So the data analytics company, is that correct? What were you doing for them? Yeah, so they're called Windfall, a a data company. I actually led up the customer success team there for almost two years. So I owned their entire um, book of business, which is about 300 accounts, and had a pretty white glove service approach. So one-on-one onboarding with all these different customers, uh, hand-holding through different use cases, teaching them best practices, learning from them to build out playbooks and different strategies, and then ultimately creating a lot of documentation in the foundational processes to build out that team. And then you moved to Narvar, the company you're currently at. What prompted that decision to move from <laughs> to Narvar? Yeah, that's a great question too. So obviously started my career at a giant 50,000 person company, moved into an under 10 person company. So what guided my search to Narvar is kind of finding what I call my Goldilocks company, somewhere that sits happily in the middle. What I love about being at a startup is being able to have direct impact and without a lot of the rules and regulations that come with larger organizations, just kind of the nature of the beast, especially working at a financial institution. So the other component of that was one, honing back into the project and program management skills that I had at my first job and removing that stakeholder from being an external client into internal uh, internal stakeholders. So building out processes for internal folks and having my KPIs revolve around internal metrics. And so your degree is in, you have a bachelor's of science in 
business information systems, correct? Yes. So business information system, kind of the hybrid of computer science, but with a management kind of focus. So while you take a bunch of coding classes, you, that's not really the, the crux of your responsibility. So I think where I've been able to leverage that is in my relationships with the engineering teams that I work closely with, engineers typically in, in my context being software engineers. And that's been incredibly useful in my career. So this class, we talked a lot about the challenges that women and especially women of color face in this male-dominated world of technology from implicit bias and microaggressions like being talked over or mansplained to even more serious acts of sexism and harassment. So how have these challenges shown up in your career and what strategies have you employed to navigate them? I obviously can point to a handful of examples where I've been mansplained or people have spoken over me. I fortunately have not been in a situation to experience some of those more severe instances, but what I have learned is to advocate for myself and to have champions in my corner that are able to, if I can't speak for myself, they can help me speak to either you know the culprits of whoever is imposing those microaggressions towards me or whatever the case may be. So what I've learned is to really develop strong relationships with my managers, with mentors inside of my company so that I can relay a lot of that feedback. Who else has helped you in your career and what role have they played? That's a great question. So I often, when I first am introduced to a new manager, I've had a lot of different managers in my career. One of the first things I'll ask is for them to introduce me to someone who they think could be a mentor to me. A lot of times your manager is a mentor in in very literal ways, either have served in your job function or understand what that career trajectory growth path looks like. But oftentimes they are tied to your development so closely that you don't always have a candid relationship. So when I seek a mentor, I am looking for more of that candor, more of that transparency without the direct line to my career development. So one of the articles we referred today is called What No One Tells You About Your Technology Career When You're 22. And one of the lessons that was given was if you're not growing, you're obsolete. So learning and development, how do you continue to learn and grow over the course of your career? So at at a company like Capital One, where I started my career, learning and development is very structured. You actually have it as part of your development to allocate a certain amount of time to learning and development initiatives, courses, certifications, things like that. As you move into smaller companies where that is less structured, they have less budget to allocate to different coursework, it becomes a lot more of your own responsibility to guide that path for yourself. I think I I had the privilege of learning what that looks like very early on in my career and have been able to structure my, my like independent learning through that. So seeking out certifications, things like being a certified scrum master, like I mentioned, or um, certificate programs out of universities for project management. Those are some of the things that I've independently done have been incredibly helpful. And then when you think about the things that I learned in college, like SQL, which has come up in my most recent job, like even LinkedIn Learning has learning paths for that and highly recommend everyone tap into those because learning and development might not be clearly outlined at the company that you choose to go to after college. So definitely kind of taking some of the onus on myself to seek new development opportunities. Another article I read today which is called, This is What Women in Tech Wish They Knew Early On in Their Careers. So career advice. One of the pieces of advice was, 
looking at the number of women in leadership at the company. So when you're interviewing for a job, look at the company, see what who's in, who's in leadership, who's on the board. Is this something that you looked at when you were looking at different companies? And what else, you know, talk about professional development. What, did, are these questions you ask when you are actually interviewing for a job? It is. So, so because diversity and inclusion was something that was top of mind for me early on in my career, it becomes something that I often ask about in interviews. You, you want to know that the company from its foundation is has the that diversity of opinion ingrained in you know their their skeleton so i that's often something that i that i ask during interviews and what else matters to you diversity inclusion having women in leadership positions growth opportunities for for learning development what else matters to you again like putting yourself in the position of a you know college almost graduate interviewing, what else do we need to look for in the jobs that we're interviewing for? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it goes back to mentorship as well. So a a question that I learned to ask in interviews was, um, is mentorship something that is facilitated inside the company or do people often seek mentorship outside the company? Um, And a lot of times you'll hear answers around companies having employee resource groups. And those are often forums for people to find mentorship as it pertains to different groups. So whether it's women in tech, or people of color or people with different interests, even like hobby related employee resource groups. It's just good to find organizations that support your whole being and not just, you know, your career development. The phenomenon called the broken rung, which is a term that was coined by McKinsey analysts that describes the phenomenon that women, where women are promoted at a much lower rate than men from entry level to manager level positions. So the number actually is for every 10 men who are promoted, promoted to manager level, only seven women receive that same promotion. And this, so this happens on early in their career. And the result is that throughout the career, women are stalled. They're like a, you know, a little behind their male colleagues. So have you experienced this broken rung in your career? Have you seen it with work colleagues? And if so, any advice you can give us for overcoming it to to advance from that entry level to the next level position? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not something that I've personally witnessed or been, you know, acutely attuned to. Um, It, what I have learned though, is the need for women to learn self-advocacy. And it's something that I've struggled with. And it's something that I've learned and grown in the past couple of years in my career. And I do think interviewing honestly helps with that. Being able to tell your story, create a brand around yourself, and be able to speak confidently to your accomplishments is such a huge skill set to have. And interviewing for me was the best way that I learned that. Okay. So self-advocating in the interview process, how do you self-advocate I think it's just, so I I mean that in the sense of like, it's a great way to practice self-advocacy. In an interview, right, you want to show your best self, you want to sell your accomplishments, you want to speak to um, your growth opportunities. And that I think interviewing is a great way to practice that. However, channeling those skills into your career and to your manager in order to advocate for yourself, documenting your accomplishments and making those well known with your stakeholders is the best way to get promoted. And that, yeah, that's what I've learned most recently. And how, you know, there's this thing called the shine theory, right? That where you in a conference room or you're in a meeting, a woman says something and then she gets 
mansplain. Somebody else says the same thing and it's acknowledged as his advice or his words. You know, there's, there's a way you can step up as an ally and, and support that person and say, Hey, Sam, yeah. I love what you said about this. So is that something that, you know, so far as self-advocating, is there also, you know, a role for an ally and how do you become an ally? How have you been an ally and how do you support other people? You can be a, a confident woman and maybe not struggle so much with advocating for yourself. Those are the type of people that I find are the strongest uh, empowering others. And I think it's about paying attention to the women that are talked over and paying attention to the other women in the room and being able to identify where they are being mansplained or are being talked over. And I've, I've heard people use phrases like, thank you for resharing my opinion, which, you know, can sound condescending in a way, but you want to kind of like learn those different, different phrases and tactics to be able to reclaim your opinion, your thoughts. One of my favorite quotes ever is from Winston Churchill. And he said that success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. And so I want to ask you about if you could say in the past few years, what has been your biggest failure or biggest mistake and what have you learned from it? Ooh, that is such a tough one. <laughs> I think it's hard to say, I mean, to the point of the quote, right? It's hard to, to pinpoint a failure because you, I've grown so much from every decision that I've made. Even if I've looked back and said, mm, I would have done that differently. I can't say that, you know, I would go back in time and change it because it's led me to where I am today. Maybe that's a cliche answer, but it's, it's hard to say that I would, you know, pinpoint a, a particular failure. And I think that's really valid because, you know, everyone makes mistakes and we experience failures and it's part of learning and growing. I guess it's part of the learning process, really. Exactly. I've been in a lot of roles too, where data plays such an important role and analysis and making decisions. And oftentimes those failures are something that just leads to another data point in making a decision. Say we're doing like A-B testing. I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with the concept, but you're rolling out an email campaign and you have two different looks and feels, two different calls to action. And one gets a really poor response rate. And the other one gets a really great response rate. Like that just goes to show that the, you know, the test worked and you have a data point to make a decision. Those are, you know, it's, it's hard to look at it any other way. So the book that we're reading for class is the book I co-author, Geek Girl Rising, which talks about the sisterhood of women in technology and how the sisterhood has grown and their soul is groups to, of women who are supporting each other as entrepreneurs, as investors, VCs, technologists, engineers. Do you have this kind of sisterhood or this a group of women who you bounce ideas off of, you, you know, you as friends and supporters, who are these people in your life? Absolutely. So at work, we have a lot of those groups. So I have a woman at Narvar group that we often use to just have meaningful discussions about what it means to be a woman in tech. But then I also have personal people in my life that I go to. So I have a really good friend whose career I think has been one that I want to emulate. And I often go to her with different ideas and different ways to approach problems that I'm facing. And it's great to have those people in your corner that aren't in your workplace. Like you don't have that direct connection to people, people, uh, she doesn't have those judgments of others at my organization. And it's great to have those people in your corner too. 
I guess networking really has not been possible for the past two years. What has your experience been like in the networking world? How do you network? That's a great question. And and even though, you know, we've been behind closed doors for, for two years, I will say there have been so many companies that have surfaced that really have t- pivoted their model around networking to cater to remote work. And one of them that I was a huge user of during COVID was called Lunch Club. And they're, they're definitely still around, but what they do is... You you like complete a survey and enter in some of the things that you're looking for out of an out of your network and they randomly pair you up with people inside and outside your own geography so that you know come post covid you can meet up with them in person and that was incredibly helpful for me to like think about what i wanted for my career learn about different companies in the industry that i'm in and that was really great another thing that i talked to my mentee about was reaching out on linkedin like there's so much available information there and you can look for those people whose careers you want to emulate and companies that you want to work at and just message them like there's no shame in it and even if you do get a really low response rate, you you made the effort right and it could lead to that one really great conversation with someone who could open up a lot of doors for you I want to talk a little bit about the gender divide and the racial divide in the tech space which there's been so much money and resources and effort going into bridging this gender divide and racial divide in technology women make up over 50 percent of the workforce but hold only I think less than 25% of technology computing jobs and leadership percentages are much lower than that. So how has this gender divide manifested in your career? How do you navigate being one of the only women in the room if you have experienced that? Yeah. So at my second company, I was the only woman for about a year and a half. And you could imagine what that feels like. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of imposter syndrome. But what I learned is that we're all human at the end of the day and that approaching conversations with logic and data and yourself, your own personality is what people are going to embrace at the end of the day. And if they don't, then it's probably not the right place for you. I would tap into your network if you feel uncomfortable in those settings, but it is a learning experience. And I think because I I think things are improving, but it's going to be a slow, a slow roll to that, you know, 50, 50 divide. And until then, I think it's about, again, building your confidence, building that self-advocacy and coming into to conversations with, without, you know, feeling defeated before you get there. And it takes time to learn. You brought up the notion of imposter syndrome, which is very real. How have you experienced this in your life? And what did you learn from it? I'd say every time I enter a new role, I feel it. it it's just that pressure of wanting to impress the people around you and it's the fear of not having enough experience to measure up to the people around you second role entering as as the only woman and into a new you know job function that I'd never held before I was never a customer success person before I, I started that role one like that doubt you know sets in really strong but overcoming it just requires practice what I've learned especially in the tech space if you are dedicated to learning the product or the service or whatever the offering is that the company is providing, you can establish that, you know, trust fairly quickly. So I would say just a dedication to learning, learning the company, learning the product, learning the service is what's gotten me the farthest out of that imposter syndrome. What other skills would you say have helped you in your career? And I'm thinking, I mean, they're called soft skills. I don't don't love that term, but, you know, writing, communication, presentations. What other skills have you needed, have you used in your career that have helped you be successful? 
Yeah, I would say relationship building is far and above the most important. And that manifests in in networking outside your company, but relationship building inside your company has been incredibly helpful. It's helped me move laterally into different positions. It's helped me get promoted. And it's just helped me, you know, build friendships, to be honest with you. And I think that those are even more invaluable than some career experience. I'll say another soft skill is is definitely presenting. It's not something that I consider to be a strong suit at all. Even participating in conversations like these is something that gets me out of my comfort zone, but I've learned not to say no to because these are incredibly helpful in building professional skill set. So knowing what you know now, having been working for a number of years, what advice would you impart on your senior year self? Oh. It feels like ages ago now, but it really is about being curious and wanting to learn. If you, when you start your new role, you want to be, you want to ask all of those questions at the get-go. Someone else in the room is going to have the same questions as you. So don't be shy about vocalizing those. I think the farther you get into a particular company, the more you realize you should have asked earlier. So be overly, (laughs) overly curious and get a lot of that out of the way when you start. Is there any Anything you would do differently looking back? I don't know. I I really appreciated that I entered into a rotational program with a cohort of like-minded people um, where I was able to build those relationships really strongly. I would say if you don't have if you're if you're not lucky enough to be a part of one of those, it's to find a group of people that are in your same age range, same experience level. So that you have folks to talk about, to compare experiences to and to learn from. And those have been so helpful to me. Those are the people that I think I've, I've grown closest to. That's great. That's I love that. Thank you for joining the Lehigh Agnostic Center podcast. The Lehigh Agnostic Center is a collaboration between Lehigh University and the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. Our mission is to educate, connect, and inspire the next generation of global entrepreneurial leaders. To learn more about us, go to nasdaqcenter.lehigh.edu and follow us on Instagram. We are at Lehigh NASDAQ Center. I hope that you enjoyed learning from Samantha's insights as much as I did. If you appreciated today's conversation, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast content for more.